I am unwilling to give up, that I will start over from scratch as many times as it takes to get where I want to be. I want to be. You just want to make sure you will get knocked down, but just make sure you don't get knocked out, knocked out. So your only choice should be go focus on what you can control, control, control. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Kara Golden Show. Join me each week for inspiring conversations with some of the world's greatest leaders, We'll talk with founders, entrepreneurs, CEOs, and really some of the most interesting people of our time. Can't wait to get started. Let's go. Let's go. Today's episode is a bonus episode from my interview on the fabulous podcast, Law Chat. I hope you enjoy it, and please make sure to tune in Monday for a brand new episode of the Kara Golden Show. Enjoy. Hi, friends. Welcome to Law Chat with Gerja. My name is Gerja Parga Patel. I'm a mother. I'm a wife. I am a podcaster. I am an educator. I am a businesswoman. I am an entrepreneur and I'm a lawyer. I truly believe in the power of mentorship for storytelling. And that's what Law Chat is all about. So whether you are in six months or 10 years of business experience, we can all learn from each other's experiences because we face the same challenges and we have the victories and we have mistakes that we're all making. So why not lean into them and know that we're going to be fine and we're going to be okay and we're going to be inspired. And of course, this is Law Chat with Gerja, so we will be talking about some law at some point during the conversation. And if you love what you hear today, which I know you will, then subscribe to Law Chat with Gerja and share the love. So grab your coffee, sparkling water or wine, and let's dive in to the next inspiring mentorship session. Hi, friends. Welcome to Law Chat. Have you heard those common phrases, drink water, not sugar? Oh, but it's diet. It's not going to be harmful for you. And also necessity is the mother of all inventions. Well, our guest today is the living example of how necessity is a mother of all inventions and diet is not always good for you. And water is amazing, especially when it is the way that our founder of Hint Water and Hint Incorporated, the Hint brand, Kara Golden has discovered in her award-winning Hint Water, which is the leading unsweetened flavored water out there. And she is drinking it today also as we are on the call. And she's the author of Undaunted, which is literally an amazing book. It's so easy to read filled with amazing nuggets of wisdom. She has been named one of InStyle's Badass 50, Fast Companies Growing, Most Creative People in the Business, Fortune's Most Powerful Women Entrepreneurs, Fortune's Most Innovative Women in Food and Drink, and the Ernst Young Entrepreneur of the Year for Northern California. I mean, you come with so many accolades and your reputation precedes you. And it's such an honor to have you on Law Chat today with us. So thank you so much for being here with us. Thanks for having me. Super fun. I think actually, you know, I, I'm always like, you know, I want to know about the journey because this whole podcast is about mentorship through storytelling. And I think it's so interesting that, you know, I was just reading your book. And in the beginning of the book, you talk about how you love reading. And one of the things that you started reading and you started developing that habit was through reading the Wall Street Journal and the Fortune magazine. And here you are getting named as one of the top leaders in the industry with the Fortune magazine. So that that must have been such like a full circle, clap on the back type of situation. I mean, so surreal. 
it was it was funny. I, one of the funniest situations that I had was when I was starting Hint, I was invited into the Fortune offices. Obviously, wasn't working at at uh, in the time and life building anymore where I started my career. But when I was invited in to kind of share the story of how I had gone from being a tech executive to starting my own business, my own water business, the editor of Fortune magazine came in the door, Patty Sellers, who runs the, up until recently ran the Fortune Most Powerful Women conference. And she said, so tell me, like, what did you do before you went into tech? And I kind of chuckled and I said, I worked in this building. And she said, wait, what? And I said, yeah. And again, I hadn't written my book yet, but I told her the story and she was like, get out of here. I cannot believe you wanted to work at Fortune Magazine. You marched into the HR offices. I cannot believe it. And now you're running your own company. And this is crazy. And my first job at not Fortune, but at Time Magazine was as an executive assistant. And her mouth like went to the ground. I mean, she just could not believe it. And Patty is still a friend of mine to this day, but she just said, oh my God, I love the story even more. I mean, this is the story of, we all start somewhere. Yeah. And we all have to you know, keep figuring out what we should be doing. And I mean, that was the story of me wanting to be in magazines. I ended up being in television after magazines and then ended up moving to the Bay Area and was in tech and went through my first acquisition. Uh, all of these things that, you know, you sort of like say, one day I want to do all of that. I just, I felt like looking back, I did a lot of crazy things. But again, when you're in it, you don't know, right? Yeah. How often have you thought about learning a new language only to be stopped by that memory of yours from the last time you tried to learn a language when it didn't go so well? Okay, maybe it wasn't a language that you were interested in learning, or perhaps all those poorly written textbooks in your sixth grade class weren't that well written after all. I have a great tip for you. It's called Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program around available on desktop or app, no matter where you choose to learn it or what platform you choose to learn on, Rosetta Stone works and it truly immerses you in the language you choose to learn quicker and easier than you ever imagined to. Maybe you're getting ready to travel abroad this summer and you want to learn a bit of Portuguese, let's say, before your trip. Rosetta Stone can help. I know this firsthand as I did just this before traveling to Portugal last year. I learned Portuguese through Rosetta Stone, and by doing so, I not only got a better grasp of the spoken language of Portugal, but it got me very excited for the trip itself before I went. They even have a true accent feature that gives you feedback on your pronunciation as you are learning too. They've got you covered. Rosetta Stone's trusted experts are the real deal. They've been helping people just like you for over 30 years, helping millions of people to learn Spanish, French, Italian, German, Korean, Chinese, Japanese, Dutch, Arabic, Polish, and my favorite, Portuguese. The lessons are five to 10 minutes long and include practical exercises so that you can pick up the language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. No English translations either, so you really learn to speak, listen, and think in the language you are focused on. 
helping you get the long-term retention you are looking for. And who wouldn't want that? Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, the Kara Golden Show listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today today. In today's world, which I will admit can at times seem filled with too much of the wrong information, it's essential to find a good source that truly gets to the heart of what I want to know. I am super excited about our next sponsor as I've been a big fan of their content for some time now. That sponsor is the Washington Post. Their depth on topics from business to tech isn't just impressive, it's essential reading for me. Whether I'm catching up on the latest tech trends or understanding how the day's news truly impacts my family, the Washington Post is my trusted source. Let's talk specifics. Their business and tech coverage, absolutely top-notch. Just imagine having the most insightful articles at your fingertips, including the unparalleled AI reporting from Drew Harwell or the pulse on tech and online culture from Taylor Lorenz. And the best part? You can listen to articles just like you listen to this podcast, making it perfect for your busy lifestyle. I was just reading an article from one of my favorite Washington Post writers, Frances Stead Sellers. She covers entrepreneurs like myself, but also covers other interesting topics, including health, as well as some very interesting books. I also love getting their For You newsletter, which is their roundup of stories tailored just for my interests, right in my inbox every evening. The Washington Post app is super well done, I think. It makes it incredibly easy to stay up to date and follow my favorite journalists on the go. And if you ever thought that the Washington Post is just about politics, think again. They cover everything under the sun, from climate and culture to crosswords and cooking, providing a world of surprising stories and vital insights. Okay, enough of the love fest that I have for the Washington Post. Here's the deal. Being a listener of the Kara Golden Show has its benefits, and this one is too good to miss. Now is the time to sign up for the Washington Post. Go to WashingtonPost.com slash Kara Golden to subscribe for just 50 cents per week for your first year. That's 80% off their typical offer. So this is truly a steal. Once again, that's WashingtonPost.com backslash Kara Golden to subscribe for just 50 cents per week for your first year. And so anyway, it was uh, the article actually ran in Fortune magazine. And uh, I think she probably shared it with a lot of people internally, just especially a lot of people who were executive assistants saying that, you know, you can go do other things and, and you can grow in organizations and go do incredible things. So anyway, it was a funny story. It is so cool to see how, as some people might say, the universe plays out with all the dreams that you have in your heart. I also think like, you know, just from kind of reading the book and then also just on the other research end that I've done, 
is that you've always been somebody very persistent and you've never had the I can't mentality. You've always had the I can mentality. And I think that mindset is extremely instrumental in getting those dreams and you know achieving them as well. And so if we kind of rewind a little bit back to when you were in college and when you were trying to get your first job and internship, how did that pan out? And then how did that lead you to where you are today? Well, I was a journalism major and I kept thinking that I would go and do something with writing. Writing was always my passion. I really enjoyed it. I had a few friends of mine in school who were finance majors and they would, we would study together and I would see some of the stuff that they were studying and I just didn't understand it. And, you know, EBITDA and spreadsheets and, you know, it was just, it was just foreign to me on so many levels. And I felt like I've always wanted to learn and I've always been curious. And so I had an opening in my schedule. Truth be told, I really wanted to take classes with these friends of mine because they were fun and I liked hanging out (laughs) with them. But these were some of the hardest classes I had ever taken. And I thought, oh my gosh, I've just been, you know, punched in the stomach and I should not, it was too late to drop these classes. I thought, oh my gosh, these are, I'm in way over my head. And I remember going to my professor and the finance professor and saying, how do I catch up? I've never gotten a C before in my life. And now I'm getting a C Mm. in this class. I mean, I think I made a huge mistake. And he was the one that said to me, you know, sometimes if you immerse yourself in some other publications that will help you, that kind of will create a story that will help you make sense of what you're actually studying in school. And that was excellent advice. And with that, I went and picked up Fortune magazine over, you know, in my local drugstore. I went, you know, on the newsstand and bought it. And I just started reading. And a lot of it didn't make sense at first, but I figured if I got a subscription, I would just keep reading it and reading it. And then I also got the Wall Street Journal. I felt like the Wall Street Journal was just much more dry and was kind of, you know, step two of where I wanted it to be. And so fortune for me just seemed like, whoever is writing these stories just is putting it into a format that I really can grasp. And so when I graduated, much to my surprise, I graduated with a minor in finance because these were the classes that I just kept taking and kept learning. Mm -hmm. And it's sort of a talk that I give when I go and speak on college campuses, by the way, because, you know, we go to college and we're told, you know, find what you're interested in, find what you're passionate about. Oftentimes you're really, it comes naturally to you. But while you're in a setting where you've got lots of different opportunities, why don't you find those classes that are really tough for you? Mm. And remember where you were in the beginning of it and where you were like in the end, because oftentimes you can sit there and look at those growth times as times that you know, really showed you who you were and who you could be. And so anyway, just going back to how I ended up getting to Fortune Magazine, that was when I was looking for a job, Fortune Magazine and frankly, no other magazines were coming on campus. And so I just saw in the uh, inside front cover um, in the masthead that Fortune Magazine was in New York City. It seemed like 
there were lots of publications in New York City. I had never been to New York. And so I thought, I'm going to write a letter and see if I get a response. Mm -hmm. What's the worst that could happen? They just don't respond. And so I wrote to Fortune. I never wrote to the Wall Street Journal. I don't know why, but I just like really wanted to work at Fortune. And Marshall Loeb, who was the then managing editor, wrote back to me and said, if you're ever in the New York area, I would love to meet with you. And in my letter, I shared with him that I was a student. And I didn't say that I had, you know, tons of internships and years of experience. I said I was a student and I wanted to come and work for him as basically somebody that I would learn from. Right. That I felt like he had skills that I didn't know. And that I wanted to, you know, work at a place that I was inspired. And think about if you were to receive that letter today, yeah. you don't receive letters like that. And, and again, nobody told me to do mm-hmm. that. But I think it's something that obviously I stood out. Anyway, so he wrote me the letter and people said, well, does that mean that you're going to like get an interview? And I said, I don't know. I'm just going to go there. And I'm going to see what happens. And I just started laugh. And I really thought I, I had enough money to buy a plane ticket. And my sister's girlfriend lived in New York. And I mean, it's funny because she, she lived in, in the East Village on St. Mark's Place and uh, totally aging myself. But this is like the time of Green Day. St. Mark's was <laughs> not the place where you wanted to be. I was like this little girl from Arizona. I had no idea what had hit me. It was just, you know, heroin needles everywhere. I mean, it was so crazy. And I was like, you know, eyes wide open to this whole thing. It was nutty. But I figured even if I couldn't actually get in the door to get an interview, I got to New York. Yeah. And I got to see something. And I wasn't going to be disappointed. And sometimes if you think too much about the end, you know, it's never going to happen. How am I going to make it happen? All of these things, you'll psych yourself out. You'll create this fear inside of you. And, you know, frankly, other people help with that. And your family and friends are the worst, right? <laughs> I talk about that a lot because they don't ever want you to take risks. Yeah. And, and I knew I wasn't going to be on the street. I had a sofa to sleep on for a few days and it was all good. You know, that was the story. And, you know, it's a story of I share in the book. I didn't get the job at Fortune. I ended up instead asking for an interview at Time Magazine, really an interview anywhere, as long as it was close to Fortune. I mean, I thought eventually I'll meet them and I'll find a way. And uh, that never happens. No, uh, you just decided to be part of their article that they're writing about. And actually, I mean, it's, it's funny because you and I, before we got on, we were talking about business school. I, I was thinking, in fact, part of what I talk about in the book, too, is the culture of time. And, you know, I went to a state school. I went to Arizona State University. It was in-state tuition for me. It, worked for me. I never thought there was anything wrong with it until I got to New York and I was surrounded by a lot of people who had gone to Ivy League schools that were getting jobs there. And, you know, my boss and others at time knew I was smart and capable and they, their opinion, having worked at time was, and living in this culture was that I should probably go to business school if I really wanted to sort of rise. And I thought about it 
And I was getting ready to apply. And then I was headhunted by this late stage startup called CNN. And, you know, and really see, I mean, it's funny to think back on it because CNN was definitely not ABC News or NBC News, Mm. but everybody said, you'll never get a job at ABC or NBC. I never tried to get a job at ABC or NBC because I believed everyone that I would never get a job. But thinking back on it, I mean, it was an amazing opportunity when I thought I, I started to get cold feet thinking, what am I doing working for CNN? Who's like a clear, like third in news at that point. And everybody that I talked to that I really trusted said, Ted Turner is a genius. Mm. And you should, if you get an opportunity to go inside of there for a couple of years, business school will always be there. And I always like had that in the back of my mind, but all these new opportunities kept coming along that I thought were learning opportunities. And and so that's the message that I share with young people who are in the workplace and also college students that it's like, you know, just not being so prescriptive about what's going to happen next, but instead just going along with where you are today. Mm. And there's nothing that is equivalent to experience. The amount of education you get hands-on with the experience that you're doing while you're on the job is why a lot of business schools want you to be working before you come in and do your master's, just because that education helps you immerse into the everyday experience. And you can then apply it later on to the technical things you're learning in business school. I totally agree with you. And I think it's also... It's interesting because I think if I wouldn't have gone and worked at CNN, I think back on watching Ted Turner. He he was definitely was not always in the New York office. He was mostly in the Atlanta office, but he was like the first entrepreneur that I had ever seen kind of in action. And when he would walk into the office, I mean... CNN was maybe in 40% of households when I was working there. It was not, you had to have cable. Have cable. To, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was complicated to get it. Most people in New York had it because you couldn't get reception if you didn't have cable, but he would march around and he, you know, what is termed today a visionary entrepreneur. He really believed. And there were many days that we believed there were many days that people around me who were working with me didn't believe yeah. that we were going to be able to compete against ABC and NBC. A lot mm-hmm. of what we're doing at CNN wasn't measured. I mean, there was just like a lot of reasons. But again, as a founder, as a leader, as a CEO, especially a visionary, and now, you know, we've heard so often, I mean, about Steve Jobs and yeah. about, you know, Elon Musk. Elon Musk. Visionaries. Yeah. And until you actually, oftentimes until they're successful, we can't Mm -hmm. conceptualize it. Right. And that was Ted. And so people often ask me, like, how did you have the courage to go up against the soda companies to take on big sugar, all of these different things, you know, to become an entrepreneur. And I think it's, it was really Ted first and then, you know, multiple entrepreneurs after that that were really showing me that you can do it if you put stakes in the ground, if yeah. you believe, if you, you know, can stay alive more than anything. 
um, the experience that that's the most important thing. And it's not really about that you're some special person or you've got to have tenacity, got to have curiosity. You've got to, you know, be okay with having doubters around you along the way. And, you know, all of those things. So I, I talk a lot about that in, in the book Undaunted as well. Yeah. I think what you've really hit on is a couple things that I'm just gathering and thinking about also is that when we have a dream in our heart, others may not be sharing that dream. And so they may not be on board because they just don't get it. They don't see the vision. They don't see the determination behind it. And it's okay. It's okay to say, you're not part of this team right now. I I still love you, but you're not part of my team. And that's fine too. And just like, you know, with CNN, with Apple, and then also later on with Tesla, and then also Netflix, like nobody thought Netflix was going to do well. And now everybody and their dog is streaming. So the thing is like, even with your brand later on, when you founded Hint, you also disrupted a whole genre and a whole like industry as well. And I know in your book, you also mentioned where the Coke, I think it was one of the Coke executives and they were like, sweetie, nobody does that. Everybody wants sugar. <laughs> Just like, yeah, only anything's was... wrong with that one sentence, but it's like, totally. yeah, it's you also uh... didn't give up and you had a vision and you were the visionary of your brand of your company. Yeah. I mean, it's again, crazy to think back on those days, but I remember very specifically, here I am, you know, fighting away for shelf space. It's the early days of camp. I had gotten it into Whole Foods. I was trying to get it on the shelf of Safeway and some of these other big chains and our category, it wasn't in the planogram. And so what I mean by that is I knew I was creating a new product and a new company but I never really thought about the fact that if you are not in one of the categories that is being recognized by retailers, then you're not going to get shelf space. Mm. And so I would go and meet with Safeway. I was like good enough to be able to get a meeting, but then, you know, the poor buyer would look at me and say, okay, well, you're not really soda. You're not really plain water what are you? And I'm like, it's a brand new category. It's unsweetened flavored water. And I'm so excited about it. And she's like, uh, we don't recognize that. And I'm like, what do you mean? I'm the only one that's doing it. Everyone else is doing flavored water with sweeteners. Yeah. They're like, I totally get it. But the planograms are set for the year and I can't create an entirely new category. And so it's something that, you know, again, I had no idea if I would have known, I probably wouldn't have started the company because I would have thought there's no way that I'm going to be able to get Mm -hmm. shelf space and sales and all of that. So that was kind of the beginning frustrations. And then where we were being distributed in Whole Foods and some other specialty markets, they were starting, I kept feeling like, Every time I walked in, I almost didn't want to walk in to merchandise the product because they would tap me on the shoulder and say, by the way, we need a longer shelf life for your product because Mm -hmm. it's going to go bad. And I'm like, okay, I don't want to see you anymore. Every time I'm coming in, you're raising the bar (laughs) on me. And, you know, I got enough problems like (laughs) deal with and I don't need that. I were trying, we're like last week, we just got it up to six months and whatever. They're like, you need to get it past a year. And 
I mean, then it was like past 14 months and it was just a constant thing. Hint, by the way, is over two years now. Incredible. Yeah, which is, I mean, it was truly unheard of. But anyway, when I was sharing with a friend of mine how hard these like little problems were that a lot of people didn't know I was going through, that's when she said, you know, you should talk to this gentleman that I met on the airplane. He was very senior at Coca-Cola and maybe he'll distribute your product. Maybe he'll buy your company. Maybe he'll, you know, make your product. They have a lot of bottling plants. And so I'm dreaming. It's so great. I can go back into tech, do what I've been doing that is so much easier and it'll be great. So I was so prepared for this phone call and so excited. I had my little deck. I was you know, we didn't have Zoom calls, um, but it was like I sent it to him. I was really excited. And 15 minutes into the conversation, after I'm selling him on the fact that I've created this whole new drink and category and it's doing great in the stores that we're in, he is like, sweetie, Americans love sweet. This product isn't going anywhere. And I was like, <laughs> you know, my balloon just got deflated. And I've had so many people over the years ask me, like, well, he called you sweetie. Like, why didn't you hang up on him? Why didn't you say, excuse me? I have no idea. I was so in shock. I, as my dad said to me, it's a good thing you weren't sitting across the table because that probably wouldn't have gone very well. Like, I mean, I'm looking at the phone going, did he really do that? I mean, it was crazy. And, and so during those moments of silence and shock, I started to listen and I started to hear that he was trying to convince me not to go forward yeah. with this product. I was listening to him sell me on the fact that I was wrong. Yet I had customers that were buying the product. And so I thought I could open my mouth and tell them that I'm not wrong. Or I could recognize that if I keep them on the phone and keep them talking for a little longer, I've now got a major beverage company strategy for, and he doesn't get that I've actually bypassed this whole, everything that he's talking about. Mm -hmm. That the end game is really not about zero calories. The end game is about having a product that doesn't have sweeteners in it. And so I got off the phone with him and that's when I thought I have a choice. I can either focus on the fact that he called me sweetie the fact that he's not going to distribute the product, the fact mm-hmm. that he's not going to make the product, or I can throw the gas on and go as fast as I can in my little tugboat, hoping that I didn't say anything that's going to convince him to turn his big cruise ship around with all his stacks of money coming after me. And so, you know, that's what I did. I still, to this day, you know, share with entrepreneurs that like, People said, I wouldn't even talk to a competitor because I would think that a competitor would, you know, they would steal my ideas or, Mm -hmm. you know, and I'm such a huge proponent of you never know. How about when you talk to a competitor, you actually realize that they're going to give you new ideas. Yeah. Right. About how you can position your product, what else you should be doing and help you think about things. And that's how I really thought about things versus thinking someone's going to steal my idea because Mm -hmm. stealing your idea is one thing, but also executing an idea is at least half. 
if not more of success. Absolutely. Absolutely. You can have all the ideas, but then if you don't know how to make them, it just won't happen. Hey, Kara here. We are thrilled you are listening with us and I hope you're enjoying this episode. I've had the pleasure of interviewing so many amazing guests over the past few years and there are so many more to come. I cannot wait. And my focus is on entrepreneurs and CEOs, real innovators and leaders who are making a difference. That's what I'm looking forward to bringing you. One of the reasons I enjoy interviewing many of my guests is that I get to learn. We all need to hear stories that teach us to be better, inspire us, and help us get through those challenging moments. I can't remember the last time I had a guest that didn't leave me feeling like a major hurdle had been overcome. We just don't hear these stories enough. And when we do, we learn to be smarter and stronger. Don't you agree? Episodes are concise but packed with amazing info that you will surely be inspired by. Do me a favor and send me a DM and tell me what you think about each interview that you get a chance to be inspired by. And if you are so inclined, please leave one of those five-star reviews for The Kara Golden Show on one of your favorite podcast platforms as well. Reviews really, really help. Now let's get back to this episode. Even the idea of Hint also started from a need of yours. It started from this desire to realize that all the diet drinks that you are drinking are terrible for your body, (laughs) right? And then you were also having, you were just going through some health stuff like with weight and with acne and things like that. And you're like, we got to have something else that has to be better than just plain water. (laughs) And and so Hint does not have any preservatives in it either, right? In order to... No. And so, and so that was part of, you know, my specs for the product, again, not knowing what the heck I was talking about, but I basically said, um, to every bottler who would talk to me, and there were many that wouldn't talk to me because I didn't have experience. That's when I said, I want to do a product that doesn't have preservatives in it, doesn't have sweeteners in it, and it's using real fruit. Mm. And most of them said, yeah, we don't do that because they thought it was a liability, right? want to touch it. And so when I would ask them, well, you know, why can't it be done? Most of these bottlers who were bottling thousands of bottles every single day of juice and some other things, they didn't know the answer. Mm. And so my own curiosity and, you know, being the precocious kid who was constantly asking my dad, why, why, why? It basically continued. I thought it was a game. Like maybe one day if I ask somebody, they're actually going to give me a clue to be able to kind of take that clue and create it. And I think actually it's interesting coming from tech. So many people saw me as not having experience yet. I had been, you know, not having experience in the beverage industry. I certainly thought that about myself as well. And there were definitely days in the beginning when I thought I'm not going to be able to create this product, to create this company, all of those things, but actually focusing on the consumer in tech. And then I was a consumer. I was actually able to think about every single day when I would hear the doubters, when I would hear the experienced people say something, I'd be like, well, that's not really true. Like I'm a consumer. I left drinking diet soda and 
I didn't move over to vitamin water. Yeah. For me, it was like, instead I, I was searching and I kept going back to diet soda because I hated the taste of water. Mm-hmm. And then finally, when I had this very important spec in front of me, starting with how I was looking at what I was feeding my own kids, ingredients became very important. Yeah. And I equated finally how ingredients and health could actually be one and the same, or I should say not having health. You mentioned my skin issue. For years, I looked at what I was putting on my skin. Mm-hmm. I never really thought about what I was drinking mm-hmm. because diet for me, it really eluded health Yeah, and healthy. Yeah. And I think for so many people, when we were starting Hint 17 years ago, I would tell them I gave up diet soda in two and a half weeks, I lost over 20 pounds. They're like, wait, what? I mean, your skin's better. All, you know, it's just, it's crazy that all this happened to you. And are you eating? Are you, you know, like all of these questions along the way. And I'm like, I feel great. And I stopped drinking the stuff that I had been drinking for years. Mm -hmm. And many people I still think didn't believe me, but again, being able to have that story. That was my own story. Whenever I would run across people, including, you know, the Coca-Cola executive who, you know, really thought that I was roadkill even before I got going, (laughs) having that experience with the consumer, not actually having worked inside of a large company where I was sort of taught to think a certain way about the consumer Mm -hmm. helped me to actually be clear about thinking differently. Right. That is the best because you had actual market research with yourself even because you were your ideal client at the end of the day. You were going to sell to. And I think like having your own experience, there are some people who would say that that can be dangerous, right? Because you're sort of self-selecting on Mm -hmm. on sort of what what you're viewing, what you're listening to. But I kept thinking that part of the problem was that a lot of people just weren't there yet where I was, yet they were very curious about it. And I think that that was the thing. I mean, everyone from the guy stocking the shelves at Whole Foods to people who were drinking diet soda every day to other people who, you know, had developed type 2 diabetes and they were marathon runners. They were drinking diet soda thinking that everything, you know, was fine, yet... Mm -hmm they had developed these chronic diseases right. that they were like, this is crazy. I never had type one diabetes. I mean, where did this come mm-hmm. from? Thing. So anyway, I think there were so many reasons why I just believed that I have to just keep going and find other people who are, you know, excited to learn, excited mm-hmm. to try And we'll see what happens. Yeah. Because, you know, being in the industry that you've never experienced before, not even knowing the jargon of that industry, and then having to have those conversations where people are literally underestimating you now because you've not had any experience. How did you stay determined? I know that you said that you believed in the product and you believed in the benefits to health, but was there anything else that helped you stay determined and that helped you not derail because I'm sure there's a lot of self-doubt along with all the external doubt that's around you. 
Yeah, well, and I think going back to those experiences that I had working for people like Ted Turner, working for, I actually didn't work for Steve Jobs, but I worked for some other people that worked for Steve Jobs, where it was like, you know, when you work for people who have seen those conversations around impossible, and then they continue every single day to make progress. Mm -hmm. And they have this attitude and this mindset that is, you know, we just have to keep working on it. And as long as we continue making progress, we'll get there. Yeah. I had been so lucky and so fortunate to be around people like that, that when I thought about this and I was running into so many, you know, naysayers and doubters, I thought it actually could be that they just don't know. And it was much more common in the tech industry to be able to run into people who would say, we're not there yet versus it can't happen. The language that was different for me coming into the beverage industry was everybody sized me up really quick to see if I had worked at Pepsi or Coke or, you know, pretty much those two were like the big ones. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in the food industry or the cosmetics industry, maybe it's Procter & Gamble. or It's really the big companies that have training programs and they want to see whether or not, you know, you made it inside of there. And, and I would argue today that those are not typically the people that go out. I'm not saying can't have them, but they don't typically come out of there and develop companies. I mean, it's just not where it happens. Most people actually come from different industries and they're consumers that are thinking about this. Mm -hmm. And that happens in every single industry because they think differently. And I think that the goal of trying to achieve something and not getting frustrated by it and instead just focusing every day on making progress. And if you have too many of those days when you're not making any progress, then I think you have to look at maybe it is impossible, at least, or maybe we can't figure this out now. Maybe, you know, this is not the company that it's meant to be, but that was never the case of Hint. I mean, we yeah. just kept making progress. There were just times when it was slower. Right. That's so key. And I like that because I was going to ask you if you had any advice on when do you know it's time to say bye and to close that chapter? Because there are times when that might be a situation also even if it's within the product that you're building and maybe it's the road that you're trying to take and you're like, no, I need to take this detour now to get here. So is there any you know, advice on that, on when to know when to say stop or take a left? Well, I think of a few different situations as you're saying that. I mean, first of all, I think as long as you're making progress that you know, and you don't have too many days when you're not making progress and you feel stuck. I mean, the key goal at all times is to be able to move forward in some mm -hmm. way and, you know, try and figure out how do you move forward in some way. And sometimes you've got this big goal that, you know, let's say you want to reach a billion dollars in sales by the end of the year, instead focusing on how do you break that down? How do you look at, okay, what can we do this week? And then after a while, when you're starting to make those progress, see how close you're actually coming to it and whether or not your goal is even realistic. Yeah. Uh, even though it's a big goal, I mean, is it really realistic? Maybe you change the timeline a little bit, or maybe you say, if then kind of equations. 
But then I think like the other piece of it that I've always been a huge proponent in, and sometimes this is really hard for people, is having, you know, multiple things that you're working on at once. And, you know, I think about this because there are people that can only work on one thing. (laughs) And I think that it is very, unless you hire people who are used to working on multiple things, I think it's very, very difficult to be an entrepreneur because that's how you avoid risk, right? And in lots of different situations. So you're working on something that's probably not going to happen for a while, but you're working on these other things that are actually showing you know, progress. And it may be that you're going to be able to get progress there. And maybe it's much bigger than you ever thought it would be. And I think that that's the thing, the diversifying, having options. And really, that can apply to not only a company and being able to have multiple you know, lines of revenue coming in or whatever, however you want to view it, but also, I mean, suppliers, right? If you're looking to make something happen, you're reliant on just one supplier, that could actually hold back. Maybe that one supplier you think is the person, but they haven't quite gotten there yet. Don't wait. Just go out and figure out how else you can make something else happen in the meantime. So mm-hmm. I think that's really, really important. And yet it's something that not a lot of entrepreneurs do. Instead, they sit here and say, we've got to focus on the one thing. But if the one thing is not there yet, then maybe you actually should minimize risk by focusing on a couple of things until you figure out what, you know, what horse is going to win the race. Right. And so what were some of the other things that you were working on or focusing on? If there well, was- I think in the early days, I mean, it was, well, I'll give you an example. Like we really wanted to create a lemon water. A lot of people were asking us for a lemon water. Lemon water is actually one of our most difficult flavors to produce. And so, you know, we had a huge initiative on lemon water and it was really tough. I mean, oftentimes, again, we're using the rind of of the fruit and Mm -hmm. it can actually you know, taste almost like turpentine. Mm-hmm. And of course, like we wanted a product that tasted great and we weren't going to release something that didn't. But again, working on other flavors that were easier and it never went away. People would ask us like, what happened to the lemon water? You said that you were working on it. And I'm like, and we're still working on it. But again, like that's an example of unless you have multiple things that you're doing, you know, I think that was the other thing too. If we sat there and and focused everybody in the whole company, all of our, you know, retailers that we were working with as well, they they would think of us as failures because they keep thinking about the lemon water. These guys are never going to figure it out. Instead, we were like really honest about, yeah, we are working on it. It's really hard. And here's why it's hard. They're like, oh, wow, that's really interesting. I never really thought about that. And then we come out with these other things in the meantime. So that's the most important thing, like have a lot of balls in the air. Because, you know, some things will take longer than we do. Um, Some things will never happen, you know, and you wish that they would. And then other things are kind of runaway successes um, that you never really thought that they were, you know, really going to be what you thought that they could be. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's great advice to have that diversification, whether it's within some of the endeavors that you're taking or within the endeavor that you're in. So it allows you flexibility and also allows you to stay committed to what you're doing and not 
get, you know, super hard on yourself also and just feel like I can't do this and like have that defeat mode happening. But I know that, you know, you were having, you were having issues with shelf life and then all the things that happened around that, the conversations that caused a lot of doubt, even when you were first starting and this whole idea of, you know, unsweetened flavored water, like, what is that? I mean, I think during COVID, the whole sparkling water got like life. It was resuscitated back to life or something. But what are some other challenges that you faced as you were growing your brand to where you are today? Yeah, so many things. I mean, just because this is this is a legal audience, I mean, just as an example, we would launch the, you know, we were really focused on the US. And pretty quickly, we had competitors, not actually in our backyard, but across the world. And people would, you know, try and knock off the trademark. We had many people who would say to us, don't worry about it. Like there's nothing you can do about it. And I always tell entrepreneurs that, you know, we fought those trademarks and we won. And we actually spent real money on fighting trademarks in Korea and Germany. And again, we had minimal product. You have to have product in some of those countries in order to actually hold on to those trademarks. But things like, you know, that are things that can sink a company. You know, if you are not thinking about them or, you know, again, we kept thinking about it as really the value of the overall company and being able to not have somebody who we have this one trademark in particular, I remember in, in Australia and they put sugar in the water and that was the whole mission and purpose behind our product. And so it was really, you know. It, it was something that we really had to, you know, pay attention to and, and defend along the way. But again, I mean, that could have been our full-time job working on that, but we couldn't let it be the full-time job. And so there's so many things that come up. And I think that you've got to be able to juggle. You've got to be able to be okay with, you know, some ambiguity as to when things are going to happen. You know, for me, the hardest thing is always, I want it done yesterday, right? And so it's always, you know, that's that's the toughest thing. But I think it's being okay with doing puzzles every single day mm-hmm. and being, without the picture, right? You, you are trying to build it. You're also trying to paint a picture, mm-hmm. oftentimes, not only to your consumer, your employees, your buyers that are buying your product. And I mean, there are a lot of different customers, right? That don't fully understand your vision. They just want a product that tastes good. Yeah. And and that's it. And so I think that there's a lot of components to being an entrepreneur that I think people just don't really think about that can be super, super challenging. Yeah. Thank you for sharing some of those challenges with us today, because a lot of things stood out to me in your book, by the way, like a lot of things. But one of the things that I had marked about is the fear of asking questions. As an entrepreneur, we, not just entrepreneurs, but professionals, whether you are, doesn't matter what kind of professional you are also, asking a question and then fearful of what the audience will think about you or fearful of the answers might be sometimes something that dissuades you from asking that question. But I've noticed that you've never been fearful of asking questions, especially in the arena of the unknown. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because if you have no experience at all, it's, I always, you know, 
say to my kids and to their friends, anybody who will listen, I'm like, you know, nobody expects you to have all the answers because you don't have experience. You actually like, you know, set yourself up when you try and create this bigger picture about yourself, how much experience you have, just tell people you don't and show them that you're smart and you're inquisitive and all of those things. That is way more interesting to so many people. But I think on the other side of the fence, especially when you're switching industries, there were a few people that would say, wait, you did what you did and and tech and, you know, built a billion dollar business inside of AOL, you know, led a team all that helped build this group. But yet that didn't count for anything because I was switching mm-hmm. industries. And I thought people are so narrow, right? About their definition of success. No one was ever going to take that away from me. I had done what I had done. And now I was inquisitive and I wanted to start over again. And I think so often society doesn't allow us to do that. Instead, we just assume, okay, we leave this tech company and we're going to go to the next tech company. Yeah. You know, and, and yet I think there's a lot of people, sadly, who almost need permission to go and start all over again. I mean, I think one thing that the book has really opened my eyes to, and a lot of people have written to me over the last year and a half after reading it is that I think that when you rise up in an organization and you, you know, get to that next level, maybe you broke the glass ceiling. Maybe, you know, you didn't feel like you ever even wanted to break the glass ceiling and that's why you couldn't break it. Whatever that is, that's usually not the mecca, right? For people. And I think for people where they get really excited is to go and do it all over again. Yet there are so many people who, you know, become so senior they actually don't feel like they can. Maybe financially, they don't feel like you know they can. But I think also mentally, people have so many questions mm-hmm. about like why they're doing that. And I think that I just never really believed that titles were the thing that defined people. And you know, I think my dad had worked inside of a large company inside of ConAgra where he had developed actually a product um, that is still alive today called Healthy Choice. And he did it inside of another company that was acquired called Armor Food Company. And they were acquired by ConAgra. And I remember thinking, I mean, he's a manager, yet he's a product manager and he's developed this incredible product. And he's not a VP. He didn't have an MBA. He's like, I mean, that was sort of the definition of who got you know the, these VP titles. Right. And yet he was creating products. And so I just thought it didn't really matter. You know, I was able to get a bird's eye view of that, I guess, what I'm trying to say as a kid. Mm -hmm. And, but I think sometimes we have to go back and ask ourselves, even as we get older and we move into, you know, great positions and do what we think we're supposed to meant to do. Why can't you switch? Especially if you feel like you're not learning. Mm-hmm. I, you know, the last thing I'll say too on that is that I think so often too, as we get older and have all this experience, we get asked to mentor people. And I always tell people that I think that the best mentor relationships are one where 
it goes both ways that you're going to learn stuff because there's a lot of things that you can learn from, you know, the generation below you or two generations below you, whether it's Gen Z's or, you know, have them teach you about social or have them teach you or whatever it is that if you're sitting there teaching all the time, I mean, that just gets mundane, right? Mm -hmm. Just as like another checkbox, you feel good about it and it's great. But if you're actually going to learn something as well from that person. And so I think like, that's a really important thing to recognize as well. And I think it really speaks to the importance of people needing to learn as humans. When you stop learning, that's when you stop growing. Absolutely. I was, I was like going to say just that after I'm like, you know, growth is absolutely essential. It's oxygen to everything that we're doing. And how do we grow by learning, by experiencing, by trying new things and not being scared. And I think, you know, speaking to you, reading your book and having this amazing conversation with you and your journey, just you're a living example of that. You're a living example of that undaunted life, as you call it. So thank you so much for being with us. But before we leave, I always like to ask a couple questions. One of them is, what is your anchor in life? When things are super chaotic around you, what holds you steady? Well, uh, my dogs. Uh, so as my, I just got two new puppies. As I lost one of my uh, Labradors, I've Sadie, um, who's a picture in the back of me right now, but who is still with me. She's over here. She's not snoring today. Oftentimes she sits on the floor and stores, but then I also got two puppies. So I, I'm learning. Uh, I never, so many people had said to me, don't get two puppies at the same time. And I'd say, why? No, no one had a great answer. And I thought, oh, they'll be friends with each other. And I could write a book on that now that I just <laughs> laugh. And, uh, but again, putting myself in situations where I'm learning and definitely they anchor me, they make me laugh and uh, they have a great time. So, yeah, I love that. I love that. Just pure joy and pure love. Totally. Yeah. And then what are some of your favorite books? I know you are an avid reader, so give me some books. (laughs) Yeah. Well, there, there's a few different ones. I actually, this one I've actually been going back to lately. It's called the Category Design Toolkit. Oh, Have you heard about this? No. Um, it's really interesting. I actually, I was on uh, his podcast. This uh, this was one of his a podcast as well, mm-hmm. and it was one of the podcasts that I was on. And it's his name is Christopher Lockheed. And I guess he's the co-author, but with two other authors. But anyway, it's really, really interesting. I mean, he talks about when there's only one company, like what Hint was doing, it's actually much harder. And how do you get the consumer to... Like, you have a lot of responsibility because you're not only making the world understand your company and your brand and why it, it should have space in their home or on the shelf or however you want to think about it, but also what it means for other people that will come behind you. So you have a big, um, you're carrying the weight on your shoulders. And so I think it's really, there's a lot of meanings in there. And again, it's not about anything specifically, but we just, he has an incredible podcast that is really interesting and he really touches on a lot of different categories. So I find it really interesting. So the book is great. And then the other one that I just really love by a 
by an attorney, actually, who teaches at Columbia. Do you know Alexander Carter? Um, by any chance, her book is Ask I have this book. Yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing, <laughs> right? And it's simple. It's easy to understand, but it's like, you know, good reminders more than yeah. anything. So I really yeah. like the book a lot. In fact, it's right here on my desk, like in the oh, box. In the that's great. Have you had her on? No, I haven't, but... She's great. I know her as well. And she's she's terrific. And she's just really insightful and reminded me. And again, you don't have to be an attorney to sort of appreciate great negotiation and how we, you know, so often don't think about the other side of the table and um, all of those things. So exactly like negotiations when when you think about it you're thinking like what you see on tv and it's really not like that you also being a seasoned you know leader of your company and entrepreneur can also attest to the fact that negotiations are never like that never and so they're never that easy they're never that you know where you're just kind of saying hey this doesn't happen then this one happened people are like we don't care (laughs) absolutely so yeah so i just think it's you know it's great to just be surrounded by just people that not only give reminders, but I feel like I'm learning all the time and I'm always looking for those books. And uh, I wish there were more hours in the day to, to read. And I tried to actually listen to a book on audible while I was reading the other day. And I thought, Oh my God, this is going to make me crazy. I can't do this because I have so many books that I'm behind on. I love it. Thank you for all your tips and all the wisdom that you have shared with us today. This was surely a treat. So thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for joining Law Chat. I love these kinds of conversations where we can be real, honest, and open. I hope you are inspired and motivated to keep doing the amazing work you are doing. If this is something that truly motivated and inspired you, rate the podcast, leave a review, take a screenshot, tag GBP Law, and share it with your community because this is truly one of the best ways to spread the word and to have this podcast come in front of more eyes. I look forward to seeing you next time on another episode of Law Chat. Before we sign off, I want to talk to you about fear. People like to talk about fearless leaders, but achieving big goals isn't about fearlessness. Successful leaders recognize their fears and decide to deal with them head on in order to move forward. This is where my new book, Undaunted, comes in. This book is designed for anyone who wants to succeed in the face of fear, overcome doubts, and live a little undaunted. Order your copy today at undauntedthebook.com and learn how to look your doubts and doubters in the eye and achieve your dreams. For a limited time, you'll also receive a free case of Hint Water. Do you have a question for me or want to nominate an innovator to Spotlight? Send me a tweet at Kara Golden and let me know. And if you like what you heard, please leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. You can also follow along with me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn at Kara Golden. Golden. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.